Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Today we have a conversation with a friend, Ed Rosa. That's me. Hi. My filmmaking partner and I have a YouTube channel, Toothless Richard Productions, where you can see a number of our short films. Today we're talking about Pig, the movie directed by Michael Samoski, starring Nicolas Cage, the wild man himself. It's the story of a man who is a truffle hunter in Oregon, outside of Portland. His name is Rob, that's Cage's character, and one day his pig is stolen from him. He then sets about finding this pig and rolls his way up through the restaurant industry of Portland before discovering the pig has died in being kidnapped and he must start his life over again. Ed, what do you think of this movie? I was actually surprised. Whatever promotional material I saw for it, which wasn't that much, it looked like a like a horror film, like kind of like a you know a bloody kind of revenge movie. And instead, it was very much not that, but a, a very sort of thoughtful, interesting, I suppose, deconstruction of the revenge film. It's really hobo with a spatula. <laughs> Because Cage is this this dude who lives in the woods in a in a nineteenth century shack. Yeah. Very minimal kind of conditions. Everything is done with wood burning stove. He's dirty as can be. He just he's rough in it. Yeah, he's filthy. We uncover through the course of events that he's a fallen chef who's left the industry to go live in the woods by himself and have this pig as an ongoing companion due to tragedies in his background. But the other intertext that I couldn't stop thinking about was John Wick. It's the story of a dude you know, who rolls up a criminal syndicate because he was done wrong again in both movies because his pet right. has been taken from him. And in both movies, the pet ultimately is killed. And that is what motivates this guy who's seemingly impregnable by typical problems and obstacles. Both men endure physical punishment. Both men seem bigger than people around them. Everybody's a little bit scared of them once they really realize who they're tangling with. And they just go obstacle through obstacle until they find the kingpin. Yeah. Happily for Pig... Our boy Rob is able to talk his way out of the final concluding confrontation with the bad guy, who's not exactly a bad guy, but this is played by Alan Arkin, a guy named Darius. And the go-between is Darius's boy Amir, played by Alex Wolf. Amir is the guy who brings Rob's truffles from the woods into the restaurant industry. So tracing these connections is what Rob does. We watch him make food periodically, which is kind of a joy. And yes, it's it's minimized and it's sped up and we only see certain steps. So we just get a little whiff, but the plates that are served, they're very good. There's a sequence that really pleased me quite a lot. While he's rolling up the syndicate to find his pig, he goes to a fine dining establishment, which is a front for this bad guy, Darius. It was the like Eurydice or something? Eurydice, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's brought this meal. Today's journey begins by uniting the depths of the sea with the riches of our forests. We've emulsified locally sourced scallops encased in a flash-frozen seawater row blend on a bed of foraged huckleberry foam, all bathed in the smoke from Douglas fir cones. The chef is requested by Rob, comes and visits with him, and then realizes that this chef formerly worked for Rob in Rob's kitchen when Rob was a chef. And this new guy was fired as a younger man for... Undercooking the pasta. Undercooking the pasta. And there's this huge <clears throat> deconstruction of what's wrong with this food today. And that caused me to have another intertext. And that was in Ratatouille. Oh, 
when Peter O'Toole's critic is talking about the restaurant that the rat and the man have been cooking for, and he's taught to reconsider what quality is on the basis of this magical experience. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. And it's very true that Rob, despite outward appearances, is very convincing in his ability to describe the food that matters. Yeah. How that brings us pleasure, community, joy, nutrition for our body, but also a touch of the high spirits. We actually witness a Nicolas Cage prepare two meals. Uh, one at the very beginning of the film when he's in his cabin. That's right. And then one later on as sort of how he exacts his sort of final revenge, I guess. But only prior to one of those dishes do we actually see him wash his hands. <laughs> and that stuck out to me because the very first one, he's in his filthy cabin scratching on this pig. Digging in the dirt. And uh, and we never see him wash his hands before, but he's like, you know, handling my fresh cut mushrooms and all this stuff. Right, he's making what like it sounds like a root vegetable casserole. Yeah, or, yeah, he yeah because he put he puts like a like a pie crust. That's right, like in a cast iron skillet. Yeah, and so but I, I was glad he did uh, he did wash his hands uh, <laughs> later on. <laughs> he really does look filthy, and he's got uh, yeah. he's got a long hair wig on, and his clothes yeah. are are quite beaten up, and and also soiled as he is. Nicholas Cage has a groove that kind of yeah. settles into that. Yeah. And the blush of his early beauty as a young man is gone. He's yeah. now he's now a handsome older guy. I think he's almost 60. But they play into and have yeah, him lean into, into being it, a real friend. I first heard of this movie while listening to the Mark Maron WTF podcast. And one of the things that I heard him resonate on, because this movie impacted him quite heavily, was the way that it is a meditation on on sadness and of loss. So let me just jump to the end. Darius, who has put up this menacing resistance to Rob's quest for this pig. Mm -hmm. I will buy you off. Walk away. Go back to your cabin. Never reappear. You're done with Portland. And what Rob does is recreate a meal that he had made for Darius and his wife some decades before when Amir was just a boy. Apparently Darius and his missus had a very bad marriage, but they had certain moments of great pleasure that they would ruminate on in good times, and one of them was this meal that Rob made for him. So it's pivotal because Rob reconstructs that meal from memory because he says, I remember every face and every meal I've ever made. Yeah. It stretches the imagination, but let's lean into it. Sure. And that's the meal that he prepares. It's quite glorious looking. Partway through the meal, we watch Darius take a bite, drink some wine, and crack up. Because yeah. his taste registers the echo. Yeah, it's like that sense memory of that time, that, that past. That's and, right. And, and it brings up all that pain. The loss of a marriage that started on good footing but foundered. And then it, it crumbled and had tragic outcomes. And he goes into the other room to, to not be embarrassed and breaking down crying in front of this man, his rival Rob, or his boy who doesn't quite put all of these pieces together until a few steps later. Into that study where he's coming apart, Rob approaches him. Darius finally relents and admits, She died. Cut to quiet, perfect silence. Yeah. And we watch Nicolas Cage completely unwind. Yeah. His mouth is agape. It's a rictus of pain. He drops to his bottom. He can't even hold up his weight anymore. It's truly a stupendous bit. 
and reminds me that Nicolas Cage, you know, I didn't like the guy in the 1980s or 90s. I came around to him sort of later than most people. Yeah. He's got the goods. And that moment, wow, that just sent me. I really had to kind of pause in my watching. And because I was watching at home, I pressed pause to kind of take a breath. Yeah. It was a very big moment. And it was also a necessary and cathartic one where the bad guy, Darius, admits what has happened. We realize this isn't going to go John Wick. There's no murder afoot. Yeah. This is just going to be the pain of having to now deal with bad choices, with bad outcomes. And we also see that Amir and Rob, while they had a business relationship, and then they hated each other, they're going to come out the other side with something more than a business relationship. They're going to be friends. Yeah. And so I can see why Marin and these other people who I've listened to talk about this movie being a deep meditation on loss. It really is. It is. You're watching a man come unglued. And there's a funny moment before that where we're starting to watch Rob hatch his plans to make this wondrous meal. Where Amir says, what's the deal with you and this pig? <laughs> and he just, he bluntly says, I love her. Now, it's funny to think that this, this animal, this companion, this pet, is bigger than just being a pet. I'm a pet owner. I, I dig my dog, but let's be serious. It doesn't have the equivalent value of a person. But I haven't lived through the death or loss of my spouse or my children. That, that's it. He's sort of the, the, you know, the, the pig has kind of become, he sort of transferred all of that into into the pig. All of, all of the emotion that you know he's got for the wife that he lost. Right. And there's a rich final note, and this is literally how the movie concludes, and it's an echo. Early in the piece, we watch Rob pick out an audio tape and stuff it into his boombox and begin to play to play somebody talking, and he can't stand it. Yeah, he, he stops he, it. He ejects it. We don't know why. This is very early in the movie. At the very end of the movie, last scene leading into the credits, he puts that tape back into the boombox, settles back into his cabin, and listens. And it's his wife giving him a birthday gift and talking to him and then singing. And she goes into Springsteen's song, I'm on fire. The emotion of the song is kind of on the surface in, in that song, and that's not a criticism. But then, like, Dancing in the Dark. Dancing in the Dark was a huge hit. It did it did gangbusters. Right. Uh, and from what I understand, like, it's a song about, like, him losing his mother to dementia. Now, on the surface, you know, it, da, 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 it's really catchy, and you can dance to it. Yeah. But... The and Courtney the, Cox did right, yeah. right. But the, but the content lyrically of the song is is very dark. Right, uh, Glory Days. Very up tempo and oh hey you know I like that Glory Days but it's like you know they'll pass you by yeah. Glory Days right like it's it it too is is very and then also Born in the USA. has been used as like sort of a rallying cry. I'm, I'm certain Reagan played it. Oh, he did. At, it it right? was a big deal for but the 84 convention. But right, but it's 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 a highly critical song. It, it, it it's not working class people sent off to the charnel house of war and many of them don't return. I dislike the majority of what they played on adult contemporary radio as a kid, uh, which I think sort of informed a lot of my musical choices growing up as I sort of was rebelling against kind of this stuff that was foisted upon me as a child. 
But, you know, now that I'm a little older, uh, I'm starting to recognize some of the charm and the appeal and the quality of, of a lot of the stuff. And uh, not to make this about, about the boss here, but uh, I'm on fire is a good song. Tell me now, baby, is it good to you? And can you do to you the things that I do? I can take you hard. And it was actually a very, I thought it was a very powerful uh, rendition of the song. It's not, right. not actually his version. It's... it's uh, A woman strumming her own guitar, right. self-accompanying, and that's it. As uh, we watch this broken man, her husband, the leftover, yeah. who has survived her, and lots of other terrible things that we've just watched him endure... Just listen and take solace yeah. from the voice from beyond. And the credits just, you know, sort of softly come up. Right. And we're just sort of left the, with the voice of, of this woman very gently singing the song. Tell me now, baby, is it good to you? Can you do it to you the things that I do? Oh, no. I can take you home. Acting is so, I mean, you get a script. And a script has like, you know, has like scene description and, and sort of some physical direction and lines. But to be able to perform silently and to convince an audience that there's things going on inside of you without using your words to explain that is really, you don't see it very often, but to me it's sort of the height of of quality acting. Yeah, I agree. Because... It, you don't get it, to hide beneath anything. Right, it is you. Right, right. And, and to have that process where you're making those things, you know, none of this actually happened to Nicolas Cage, yet he's able to physically go through these things. You can see the turmoil inside, and I, I just think it's it's really remarkable when when actors are, are, are good enough to be able to really pull that off, where they can convince you what's going on inside them without speaking a word. Also, there are nice passages in this where we're watching, mostly Rob, interact with nature memorably, and this is to your hand-washing thing, (laughs) when he goes back to his cabin after learning the fate of his pig. He crosses a creek that we've seen, I think, at least twice before in the piece, and he runs his hand through it, puts water in his face and across his hair, yeah. and we watch him, in a sense, be bathed. It, now, it's not the way that we might bathe with right. with soap, <laughs> but, but it's a nice bit to use that fresh water and find himself baptized yeah. in, in the truth of yeah. what his reality really needs to be. Yeah. And we spend time observing that. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, ah, I thank the nature for providing me this water. We just watch. This yeah. man is... He becomes more peaceful. How do you even write this thing? Like, where, where did, where did, it's written by Sarnowski, uh, based on a story by him and Vanessa Block. Like, so was, was, was he, or are they having some kind of, you know, extreme emotional anguish and looking for some way to tell the story without being, you know, just super obvious or on the nose about it? Well, I think that that's possible. I don't know these people, so I'm inventing stuff whole cloth as yeah. I sit here in front of you. Yeah. But what you've just said could very well be one of the approaches. Another is maybe there was a piece of journalism about the high-end restaurant industry of Portland or of other cities 
and how it has this odd predatory connection with farm to table relationships with right. with rural folk like truffle hunters these odd little things that become terribly popular for a period of time uh, i think another might just be you remember when rob is going into the basement of a hotel because he's going to break through its foundation wall to the older hotel which is no longer there because that's where the bum fights are being held right and amir's like i'm sticking my neck out and we're in my city now so you have to you know, you got to keep me in the loop. There is no loop. We're finding my pig. You're not part of a loop. You're my ride. Fuck you, man. Just a fucking homeless asshole. He probably fucks his pig. So sick of your shit. Do you know what you're worth to me without that pig? Nothing. Fucking zero. You're going to have a fucking stroke in that cabin. And I'm going to know the fucking notices. So how about try and give me some fucking respect? I don't fuck my pig. That strikes me as another place where a couple of writers, like, they're, you know, having beers one Saturday, yeah. and they're like, this is a funny thing. Well, yeah. okay, let's unwind it. Why would a guy get into the situation where he's saying, I don't I don't practice bestiality right. in order to recruit right. a, an acquaintance to help him with some... Why would you ever get in that conversation? Uh, uh, I think it, too, it, it sort of, it, it, it interestingly speaks to kind of the, the, the difference between Amir and, and Robin in that. Like, of course, that's what most people are going to go to automatically. Yeah. Like, oh, that's the only thing that would make this worth it. This pig is your lover? Like, right, right. Like, saxophone. <laughs> but it's like, you know, he understands his emotions on a deeper level than some of these characters are capable of doing. And I think that, that interestingly, and it, and it's, it's, it's a funny moment, but it also really underscores the sort of difference in you know because amir is trying to be like a thing in the culinary world yeah, he's, he's trying to be a slick salesman but that illustrates how sort of out of his depth he is yeah. in dealing with you know uh, uh art that springs from like true creativity and, and true passion and, and, and genuine emotion another detail that sprung to me you use the word sprung it's a good <laughs> word is uh, is darius offers this takedown to our boy Rob, you know, it's time for you to back down. You're you're here on my privilege. Yeah. You don't belong. And uh, the dressing down implies a whole lot of stuff. And for some reason, when I reflect on that, that little speech he makes, that monologue, it causes me to think about, well, our industry, we're thinking about movies all the time in our conversation. And the movies, in the form of Hollywood and what all that might be, are generally one small shingle on a wall of a gigantic corporation that may also actually earn more money from running parking lots right. and running hotels and owning gas stations and owning farms that make the oranges that turn into the juice that I drink in season and, and so on and so on. And what we realize is that Darius is operating at a much higher, at least regional level of understanding how all of these different industrial machines fit together. Farmer here, restaurateur here, distributor here, milk grower there. And Rob is not privy to any of that, doesn't care. Yeah. There's something pure about not caring, being the artist. Right. And we watch him create his artist's food. But there's also something admirable in being the person who's able to put all of these pieces together and fold them over and know how and why they fit to feed everybody, including his own wealth, sense of power. He emphasizes that with, well, his muscle. Yeah. There's a menace. If, if you push me too hard, I'll, I'll take you out. Right. And again, that's a John Wickian kind of a thing. There are rules that you're not understanding beneath the surface of what you're not understanding. Trust me, I've made them. Right. Don't cross these lines. And so I was just split in my thinking that artists, and I aspire to be one from time to time, we so-called creatives often think about our efforts as uh, glorious all to themselves as we make these things that we treasure. And we don't necessarily have a good feel for how they turn into commercial things 
that are traded and right. used by others in ways we don't quite imagine or that we don't appreciate and sometimes we even detest. And we watch them as Rob is experiencing that. This this director and his collaborative writer and the production staff, I'm assuming all of them are foodies of some sort or another, at least beyond pork and beans and and green <laughs> and you know and corn. I mean they right. they dig this stuff. And they also realize how food is well, it's it's basic to our condition. Without it, we will die. Consequently, food needs to be emphasized, though it generally isn't. It's just stuff we shovel while watching TV or driving our cars. And if we spend a moment thinking about it as both sustenance and also art, we can bump into some things. One bigger point to emphasize is that a great many American movies over many decades are concerned with what we folks in the academic circle like to talk about as the masculinity crisis. And I know that gets people upset and blah, but the point is, for masculinity to exert control over all other forms of of gender, for patriarchy to maintain its dominance over other forms of social organization, it also needs to self-victimize and question its authority. I know that's a long way around, but we're in the <laughs> age where, where where Putin has just invaded Ukraine. Yeah, and that's yeah, just a gigantic, I have to make my ego feel better as much as it's anything else. Yeah. So saying all of that and realizing that what I've just uncorked is a topic for many hours of conversation and argument. Let's also just realize this movie, Pig, gets released formally in the theaters July of 2021. And at that same time, also in theaters, we see two other movies by two other bankable stars, Joe Bell, which is Mark Wahlberg, and we see Stillwater, which is Matt Damon. And these are stories also about broken men trying to amend their failures or mistakes or the things they're trying to protect in their lives that are in jeopardy. In the case of Joe Bell, as I recall the story, Mark Wahlberg is on a literal walking protest across America to support his child who's come out as gay. Stillwater is about this roughneck who works in the oil industry doing the oil wells in Oklahoma from Stillwater who must go find his daughter who's not been tookens like Liam Neeson's kid off in Europe, but he's got to travel, fish out of water to France to preserve his child. Again, he's got oh, to defend trailer, yeah. he's got to defend this child of his from bad things. Just as Wahlberg has to defend this child of his in Joe Bell, just as Robin has to defend his pig in Pig. And those three performers, if we consider the totality of their careers, all of them running decades deep, they're huge bankable stars. Yeah. All of them are deeply middle aged. I think that uh, that our guy Nicolas Cage is easily the oldest of the three, but not by that much. And all three movies are in theaters at the very same time, reflecting on this idea that a form of masculinity reaches a crisis point in firm middle age, which is, on the one hand, about preserving a sense of self in the face of glaring, terrible loss, but also trying to do right by people that you care for, or in the case of Robin, this pig that he cares for, because the people he once cared about are gone. It's not coincidental exactly because these themes, these strains of consideration in our society are constantly being bandied about, whether it's popular music, studio arts, the food we eat, the movies we watch. And my point of emphasis is that here we see a crop of three movies at the same time, all of them relatively small, none of them are backed by Disney money, all of them about these unusual guys 
who are struggling to define and redefine themselves because they're discovering the way they have always behaved is not working anymore. That's masculinity in crisis. And that sits beneath what these movies are. And each of these men, these protagonists, exhibit a form of humility and vulnerability that many other roles, those three same actors, have not really explored very often. Yeah. If we think about Matt Damon, just as the easy example, he's Jason friggin' Bourne. Yeah. That guy can just roll up a Russian cartel <laughs> by himself. Yeah. And Wahlberg has put a lot of bodies down deep in the course of his action movies. And, of course, Nicolas Cage has done the same. But here, each of those three, in this season, in 2021, were acting against that type that they have been cast to perform in many, many high-budgeted movies. You can keep those. Yeah, <laughs> You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, mean, uh, I would rather have something, you know, like this. Uh, it actually, like I said, it actually has something to say, or at least it seems like it does. It, <laughs> it I, to me. I, I think it does, too. I, I believe this is a quality movie, and I was pleased that we agreed to watch this together, and I have been reflecting on it off and on since putting it down. When I can still chew on something... Days, weeks, even months later. Yeah. I think that's powerful stuff. I consume enough movie media <laughs> <laughs> on a regular basis and have been doing so for decades now that it's sometimes very difficult for me to remember certain things I know I have watched because oh, yeah. I, keep, I keep a list. Yeah, I mean, they're, kind of, they're kind it? of forgettable. I, yeah. I, I that too all the time. Uh, I watch a lot of westerns and a lot of uh, noir. <laughs> and as much as I love both those genres, I find sometimes... The titles are so interchangeable, yeah. and so many of the circumstances are similar. You know, I will forget that I've watched something, and I'll tape it off TCM or whatever, and I'll sit down and watch it, and i go, wait, no, I saw this. So it, it's always nice when you don't have that. You don't question, have I seen this? Yeah. Well, so Nicolas Cage, if you're listening, <laughs> please don't agree to make Pig 2. <laughs> this is Blockbusters and Birdwalks, a conversation between Garrett Chaffin Kirai and Ed Rosa. Boop boobity doo.